We are just about halfway through the season, so how would we look back now that we've had a significant sample on the 2022-2023 offseason for the San Francisco Giants? How are the players they performed or they acquired performing, and how are the players they targeted performing? And also, what about the trade deadline? Now that it's pretty clear what the Giants' needs are, what are they going to do with the trade deadline just over a month away? You are Locked On Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and on this show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thank you for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts, including YouTube. Check us out there. Hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube. And coming up on today's show, a mailbag edition of the show. Thank you so much to everyone who submitted questions. I kind of put them into categories. And the first category is about the offseason, kind of revisiting what the Giants did and evaluating some of the players they brought in with, you know, significant about half of the season completed. So Connor SF asks, now that we are nearly halfway through the season, how do you feel about the free agents we got during the offseason? Should we look to trade any? NDE The Rock says, at the halfway mark, would you call... Uh, the offseason a success or an unsuccessful free agent haul. And Mosh says the Giants have to look more attractive to Otani. Oh, this is kind of a, a separate question. We'll, we'll save that one for a minute. But basically, Connor and NDE The Rock, how would I evaluate it? And it's kind of a mixed bag. And so to say successful or unsuccessful, it's kind of hard for me because some of the players have been successful and some of them have been unsuccessful. So I'm kind of like right in the middle on this one. And it's going to, as we'll, as we'll see, there are some other factors like players they targeted. How are those guys doing? And that kind of changes the narrative a little bit. But just to recap, they brought back Jock Peterson and, uh, I'll continue the recap here. Ross Stripling, they signed and Sean Manaya, they signed. And then, of course, Taylor Rogers in the bullpen, Luke Jackson in the bullpen, and then Michael Conforto and Mitch Hanniger. So again, yeah, it's, it's totally a mixed bag. And I would say that bringing back Jock Peterson has been exactly as expected. He did miss some time, like almost a month with a bone bruise in his hand after getting hit by a pitch. And, uh, but if you look at the last two seasons combined for Jock Peterson, I was actually going to do this last night just on my own and I didn't get around to it. But the last like last year and this year, he has over a 140 weighted runs created plus, which I would imagine if we combine those two years, he's going to be close to the top 10 in terms of just an overall offensive performer over the last two years combined, if we set the minimum to around 600 plate appearances or so. So he's just a, a force at the plate. He's barely played the field. I think he played for like one inning or a couple innings. But 
as a DH platoon situation, just bringing him back, I think culturally too, uh, is important just to have some continuity. And I don't know. I just think people called it kind of an overpay at the time. He got the qualifying offer, but it's just a one year deal. And I'm, I'm really happy Jock Peterson is on the Giants. I think he makes a big difference in the clubhouse and on the field. And then. Turning our attention, let's just stick with position players for now. Mitch Hanniger and Michael Conforto, this is where it gets to be kind of a mixed bag in that Conforto has been like inconsistent. He was cold and then he was hot and then he was cold and now he seems to maybe be getting hot again. But when all is said and done, he's just become like an important bat in the middle of the lineup. I've been a little bit uh, disappointed with how he's looked defensively. Like he just... He's not that old, and yet he seemed, he's 30 years old, I believe, and, and he's kind of running around like he's got some problems in his hips or something. I, maybe I'm being a little bit overly critical, but the defensive metrics kind of agree with me and uh, tag him for you know being below average defensively in right field this year. And But at the plate, I mean, he's just – he's – He's Brandon Belt-like. You know, there's a lot of similarities in the numbers to Brandon Belt uh, in taking a lot of pitches, uh, being streaky, hitting for power when he's hitting, drawing a lot of walks. So he's just an important middle-of-the-order presence for the Giants. So I like that move. Mitch Hanniger uh, did not start off great in a couple ways. First, he was injured, and then he was not performing well, and then he got injured again. And so it was a struggle for Mitch Hanniger, like basically in this first season. He'll have about a month and maybe, who knows, a playoff run to redeem himself. But the first injury, you know, being a soft tissue injury, it can be, you can say like, wow, they targeted a guy who has an injury, long injury history, and he gets injured right away. But the forearm fracture is just a fluke thing and sadly for Hanniger he's dealt with a lot of fluke injuries in his career but I kept beating the drum and truly believed that given enough playing time he is going to be a really good offensive player similar to Conforto not necessarily exactly how they go about it but in that just an important middle of the order presence and I I do feel like they're as well as they're playing at, at some point, it's going to catch up to them a little bit, not having Mitch Hanniger in the middle of that lineup. And then uh, the disappointment kind of comes from Sean Manaya, I guess, continuing the, the disappointment of a Hanniger. Sean Manaya and Ross Stripling started out the season just in an utterly disastrous way. And for Stripling, he then went on the injured list. I don't know Phantom IL or not, but he went on the injured list and he just got reactivated. So let's see. These are, again, guys with track records. So half a season isn't enough necessarily to even judge a player. You kind of want the full season. And I don't know. I think Ross Strip, he's obviously not that bad. He was so terrible. And that's not what his track record has been. Uh, and for Manaya, it started out just equally as terrible. But he's been a different guy out of the bullpen. And just blowing people away with strikeouts and just he's been good out of the pen in a long relief kind of role and so I'm curious to see how the second half goes with Manaya. does he get put back into that rotation 
and or do they just keep him in this kind of bullpen role? It reminds me a little bit of what they did with Drew Pomeranz. Remember, he was a starter for them, struggled a lot. They put him in the bullpen. He was a different guy. And then they traded him and they got Mauricio Dubon out of that trade with the Brewers. And so anyway, the question just kind of... Uh, it's a mixed bag. It's hard for me to say successful or unsuccessful, largely unsuccessful. But uh, I did want to point out that if we look at like some of the top players who who signed this offseason and, and some of the guys the Giants targeted, like, I mean, just by overall salary, like Trey Turner got the second most money of any player this offseason. And he's been a huge disappointment. Xander Bogart's overall this has been about league average offensively, and he got $280 million. Carlos Correa, obviously, you know the story there. Guess what? I mean, he's been below average offensively, below average, hitting 213, 289 on base, 407 slugging, worth about half a win above replacement, which is like, you know, the Giants have like 10 players who have been worth more than that. And so it just goes to show you that, you know, it's really unpredictable how these guys are going to perform. Jacob deGrom got the next most money and he made a handful of starts and then he's going to have Tommy John. So that's a disaster. Carlos Rodon, right? I think a lot of people wanted the Giants to bring him back. He got $162 million. He still hasn't pitched. And so it's easy to say like, oh, Mitch Hanniger has underperformed and Ross Stripling has underperformed. But it's uh, important to look back on these were the top guys, and a lot of them just really struggled, and including guys like Rodon and Correa, who the Giants, in terms of you know what what the fans wanted, certainly they had an agreement with Correa, and then of course Rodon bringing him back was something that a lot of people wanted them to do, and he has he literally has not pitched due to injuries already. And you're one of a six-year deal. And by the way, Aaron Judge is also injured. Total monster when he was playing, but now he's got a torn ligament in his toe, uh, his right big toe, and his status is very uncertain moving forward. So anyway, it's just, yeah, maybe the Giants, looking back on their offseason, it wasn't the guys they brought in haven't been perfect, but at the same time, a lot of the guys they, you know, fans wanted them to bring in, have been less perfect even. And so, I don't know, just wanted to throw that out there. So coming up in just a minute, we're going to actually turn our attention to the trade deadline because it really has snuck up on us and it's just over a month away and there are about a zillion questions about the trade deadline. And so we're going to attempt to make our way through them in just a minute. But before we do, this episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's about making sure the uh, that every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, do what I did and head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know that the part will fit or your money back. 
Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. All right, as promised, we are going to get into questions about the trade deadline. I kind of missed out on uh, Mosh's question about Shohei Otani. Maybe we'll quickly get to that one as well. Thanks again for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day, every day or tomorrow on the show. Guess what? We'll be breaking down game one of this intriguing series in Toronto. Uh, Dark Horse World Series preview, perhaps. Giants and Blue Jays, that would be a lot of fun. And guess what? Facing old friend Kevin Gosman tonight at 4.07 Pacific, and you can catch every pitch of the Giants' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Search Giants. So, yeah, the next question, uh, they're trade deadline questions, and we're just going to try to run through them and get to a lot of them because there there are so many. Candlestick Will says, "What would it take for the Cubs to say yes to a Marcus Stroman trade?" G Man thirty five says, "We all in on Stroman. Also, should we worry about Discofani's recent struggles and an iffy Alex Wood?" So there are also a ton of questions about the bullpen games and the starting rotation not performing as hoped, and we'll get to those later on as well. And so I'll save kind of my concern about Di Scalfani and all that for then. But what would it take for the Cubs to say yes to a Marcus Stroman trade? My, you know, I don't, I'm not in the business of necessarily like making trade proposals because you never, there's so many players at play and, uh, it's hard to say what exactly it would, I mean, there's a million iterations that could get the Cubs to say yes. But I just want to point out, I think that it would not probably take as much as people think. I'm reminded of Chris Bryant and you got, I mean, Chris Bryant is a bigger name, obviously, than a Marcus Stroman. I think I've always said that starting pitchers make a bigger impact uh, because especially when you get to the postseason, you can like for sure guarantee yourself that the starting pitcher is going to I mean, unless they get hurt, they're going to they have a huge impact on the games in which they pitch, whereas hitters, they don't always make an impact. Even if they get, you know, a couple doubles, it doesn't necessarily do anything uh, to impact the game. But starters can really impact playoff games. And for Stroman, yes, he's got this really nice 2.47 ERA, but all of the kind of peripheral numbers suggest that that's lower than we should expect moving forward. It's certainly lower than I would expect moving forward. Kind of a guy to be more in the mid threes, perhaps. And sure enough, his career ERA is right in the mid threes at 3.52. So I don't think he's unlocked some new level necessarily. He's just having a good year from a run prevention standpoint. Pretty sure the Cubs infield defense is excellent with Dansby Swanson and Nico Horner. And so that might have a lot to do with it. Uh, not a strikeout guy, but an extreme ground ball guy. So I don't know. I think it would take, you know, some talent going to Chicago, obviously, but you know, it's not going to be like, oh, you've got to trade Marco Luciano and Kyle Harrison to get Marcus Stroman, who his contract status is that 
he can opt out after this year. And given the way he's pitching, uh, he's very likely to opt out. But it's worth pointing out that inheriting like an opt out potential potential is all downside for the team. And we've been through this with the Giants uh, because basically he's going to opt out if he continues to perform perform well, but he doesn't opt out if he gets hurt. And so you take on that risk. And so that kind of reduces his value, actually. So, again, I think it would take some talent, but it's not going to take huge amounts of talent to get a Marcus Stroman. Next question. uh, Next set of questions are about Joey Bart. Matt in Maine says, will Joey Bart be traded this season? If so, is there any other prospects that could be included in the deal to bring in a starter or any other need? And YKY says, what's a realistic trade for Bart before the deadline? Robert says, is Bart worth anything in a trade? What teams need a catcher? And what do the Giants need most? And what could they get for Bart? So a lot of different iterations of the same question. So the big overarching question here is, is Joey Bart a trade candidate? And I say absolutely yes, he is. And almost for his own good. And he... At this point, like it's so obvious that they just don't really believe in him, given that they were just, you know, Blake Sable was the first sign. Blake Sable making the opening day roster, the signing of Gary Sanchez, which ultimately he didn't stick around, but that had more to do with, I mean, Bart, it was before that was before Patrick Bailey showed up that they let Sanchez walk, but I'm sure they probably knew that that Bailey was in play in the short term. And so Bailey and Sable and then sending Bart down, it's nice to have that third catcher on the 40 man who's got experience with your own pitching staff and all that. And so, unless they get something that's worth their while, then it might be worth it to hold on to Bart because what happens if Sable or Patrick Bailey gets injured? I think Bart is a good fallback option. Not that I really believe in his offense myself, but you know, who else are you going to throw in there? And you want, you don't want to have, it's hard to like learn a pitching staff on the fly. And yeah, so it's nice to have that guy in AAA. But anyway, what's a realistic trade? Does he have any value? He doesn't have a ton of value, honestly. I don't think you would get very much for a Joey Bart. There's certainly some intrigue. And if you're on the outside looking in and you haven't seen all the struggles, you just kind of look at the numbers and all that. Uh, You just look at, okay, this guy was a number two overall pick. He was a highly regarded prospect in the prospect ranking community. And he's had struggles off and on for parts of a few seasons. So it's just you... You could talk yourself into being intrigued by Joey Bart if you're maybe like a rebuilding team that just doesn't really have a great solution at the catcher position. And so, yeah, I mean, you could maybe like an exchange of underperforming prospects, but for the Giants at another position, maybe in the outfield or even a starter, someone who was highly regarded but has struggled Uh could make sense. And the question about could he be included? What other prospect could be included in the deal to bring in a starter? I don't know exactly. I mean, like I said, that you could there's so many players in the system. It could be anyone, theoretically, depending on who you're trying to get. So, but yeah, I mean, for his own good, eventually, this is the last year that Bart can be optioned. And so 
if he's not traded this deadline, he'll probably be traded in the offseason or just before the season. Next set of questions, continuing on the trade deadline theme, uh, we are going, uh, Robert says, does an Otani trade make sense for the Giants? Obviously depends on if the Angels are willing to listen to trades for him. They need starting pitching terribly, and he would obviously not hurt the lineup. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we will get into that question in just a minute, and we're also going to discuss the sustain- sustainability of bullpen games. So all of that in just a minute, but first. All right, as promised, we're going to continue to talk trades. There's a lot more I want to get to here, and then we're going to talk about the bullpen games and the starting rotation, because that is a hot topic on everybody's mind. Thanks again for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day, every day or tomorrow on the show. We will be discussing game one in Toronto. Speaking of bullpen games, it's a bullpen game tonight for the Giants with Ryan Walker making yet another start, quote unquote, in this role. Uh, and they're facing Kevin Gosman. Giants play the Blue Jays tonight at 4.07 Pacific. You can catch every pitch of the Giants' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app Search Giants. So this question from Robert, does an Otani trade make sense for the Giants? Of course it does. Of course it does. And he is he is the kind of guy where, yes, you even though he's a rental, you would be giving up probably, I mean, like maybe your best prospect to get him and then some other guys as well, maybe some major league ready talent. Like, I don't know, David VR uh, probably want like, I don't know. I don't know. Keaton Wynn or Tristan Beck and also your best prospect. But I don't think the angels are trading him unless they really collapse here over the next month. They seem intent on not trading Otani and I don't blame them I thought they should have traded him last offseason. It's tough to do, though, but ultimately, they're running the risk of letting him walk away for nothing. If I mean, they, they'll get they'll put the qualifying offer on him and they'll get a compens- compensatory draft pick if he leaves. But otherwise, I mean, you could have had like franchise altering a franchise altering return if you had traded Otani last offseason. This offseason, it's going to be, I mean, excuse me, last trade deadline. This offseason, it would be less, but the Angels are in contention. And so I think they're they're signaling that they're not going to trade him, but you never know if that could change. And if it does change, of course, Otani is absolutely uh, make makes sense for the San Francisco Giants. Although the DH spot, you know, it would kind of, it's a bit of a log jam there if Jock Peterson is still on your roster. And they both are left-handed hitters who would be taking up that DH spot. Anyway, so that would have to be dealt with. Manny says, would you trade Kyle Harrison, Grant McRae, Will Bednar, and Eric Silva for Dylan Cease? The Giants are trading prospects. Uh, I have serious doubt on Harrison becoming the ace we all expect him to be. Points out Tim Alderson, Zach Wheeler as examples. Wheeler broke out six years after the trade. It's not a guarantee. Yeah, I mean, you're right. And I think that for the right player, you do consider trading a Kyle Harrison who's just kind of had persistent walk issues in the high levels of the minors. Now, when it comes to Cease, he's kind of taken a step back this year 4.04 ERA 4.39 expected ERA last year the dude 
was absolutely a total stud with a 220 ERA and 184 innings. The status of his contract, he can become a free agent after the 2025 season. So you get him, you'd be getting him for the rest of 23 and then of course 24 and 25. So two and a half years of team control. He's 27 years old. I'd have to probably like dig deeper into his kind of numbers and why the results haven't quite been there for him this year, but it's, it's interesting. And to get, to bring in an ACE caliber pitcher, I mean, if the Brewers were not in contention, if we were talking about like a Corbin Burns or something, and would I trade like Kyle Harrison, Grant McRae for like three years of Corbin Burns, if Burn, I think Burns has also not been at his best, but I think I seriously consider that given where the Giants are and given that they've had they've they've had prospects come up and make an impact. So it's not like your whole world depends on Kyle Harrison developing into the into a great player, especially with the success. Not necessarily this year, as I said, with Manaya and Stripling, but this general success they've had with starting pitchers. But then, like, should you trade all that for a starting pitcher or should it be a position player? It's an interesting question, and certainly I th- I don't think you rule out big moves like that at this point for the Giants. Sam says, do you think trading for a guy like Luis Robert Jr. is possible? He could be part of a package, uh, Cease Giolito as well, that puts us over the edge and the star fans are craving. So Luis Robert, I'm going to have to pull him up really quick as well. Obviously, he is on the White Sox as well. And so, I mean, adding Dylan Cease to Luis Robert, man, you're talking about a big package. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, Luis Robert is having a monster season, hitting 272, 328 on base, 569 slugging, 143 weighted runs created, plus 3.3 fa- uh, fangraphs wins above replacement, already 22 homers. So, yeah, I mean, I like the idea of. Luis Robert. He's under a contract, a six-year, $50 million contract, which is a total bargain, running through 2025 with 2026 and 2027 club options. And he's only 25 years old. And so, I mean, that would be a blockbuster. That would be a total blockbuster. This guy would cost a lot to acquire, probably more. I mean, I think definitely more than just than Dylan Cease would command. And so... It's an intriguing thought. He's He's been a really good defender in his career out in the outfield as well, playing mostly actually exclusively center field. And so, yeah, I mean, if this guy was made available by the White Sox, who kind of are in position where they need to consider all their options given the state of their franchise, then he intrigues me a lot. The thing is, I think he's dealt with chronic kind of injuries. I don't I don't know the exact nature of what they've been and if it's like one persistent thing or if it's been fluky things. So I'd need to look into that. But this guy is a good player. He kind of doesn't fit the mold in a sense in that he's a free swinger chaser, chase rates of, you know, in his career about 45%. That's bordering on Casey Schmidt levels. But when he does make contact and put the ball in play, he's doing a lot of damage as evidenced by his career weighted runs created plus of 128 and he's only 25 years old it's going to be 26 in august but still really intriguing player there so 
We've got to skip over some of the other trade questions, and I will get to those probably at some point later on this week. But just to get to the bullpen game questions, John says, after this Toronto series, the Giants will have played 81 games. Give me your case for why frequent bullpen games should continue for the next 81 games. So uh, I'm not sure that they should. So give me your case why they should. I don't know if you're asking me to just make that case, even if I don't believe it, or to just justify it on their behalf. But what I want to say about this is that there are a lot of questions about, is this sustainable? Some people are just flat out saying it's not sustainable. And the my first reaction is to say that they're not really bullpen games. It's more like they're using an opener and then they're using a starter after that. And so it's non-traditional. We've seen it with other teams. We saw it first with the Rays, but you know, You've got guys like Keaton Wynn, Tristan Beck, Jacob Junis, Sean Manaya. They're like most of their bullpen right now is made up of starting pitcher types. And so I wouldn't really call them bullpen games, actually. Uh, I'm seeing if I'm missing anyone. It's like a five man rotation in the bullpen Manaya, Junis, Beck, Wynn, and Stripling right now with some of the injuries. Oh, by the way, Luke Jackson was a good signing before he got hurt, and Taylor Rogers. I think has been key, even though he had such a rough first few weeks. He his emergence has been great. He's just been lights out for the last couple months. I forgot to talk about them in the question about the offseason and evaluating it. But anyway, John, I wouldn't really call them bullpen games. Just think of the bolt guys. If you just imagine that they started the game, uh, then what's the difference, right? Like if, if Manaya gave you four innings to start and I get it, four innings is not six or seven. And maybe that adds up over time, except sometimes they're going like multiple long relievers in the same game. And so it's like, you know, uh, they, I think first and foremost, they know what they're doing. They're not just going to wear down their staff. Like they are in this to win it. And they, they're thinking about these things. I think that there's like a tendency to think that maybe the Giants aren't considering that maybe using bullpen games is going to wear people down. But they're, you know, Gabe Kapler keeps talking about how their pen is in really good shape. And I think that like in terms of not being overused. And so I, I don't have like the numbers pulled up about how many innings have the Giants relievers like Camilo Duvall and Rogers and Rogers and all that. How many innings have they pitched relative to what they've pitched in the past at this point in the season relative to what's normal for other relievers in the game, etc. But they know they're aware of these questions and they're uh, it's just very unorthodox, but they've also been successful. As King of Norway says, the Giants are eight and four in bullpen games this year. It's about to be July. It appears this is a successful and sustainable strategy. Will we trade Will we see trade deadline moves to invest in more openers slash long relievers? And I thought this was funny. Jason says Giants cannot su sustain success with bullpen games much longer, in my opinion. What do you think their plans are? Harrison, trade for starter, counting uh, on the return of Stripling Manaya to the rotation. And so basically, I think that they do... I think that when the trade deadline comes up, a starting pitcher makes a lot of sense because I'm like I originally said to John's question, I'm not sure that 
this level of it is something that they want to keep doing. It obviously wasn't plan A, uh, but Stripling and Mania struggling so much to begin the year kind of moved them in this direction. And then some injuries moved them in this direction. But Alex Cobb is about to come back and that makes a difference. Like they're just doing it when they're losing guys also. And so maybe though Alex Woods poor performance moves him into a bullpen role. But then at that point, maybe someone like Keaton Wynn or something goes into the rotation and then you've got four guys and then maybe you're only doing a bullpen game or an opener like once a week. And so anyway, it's certainly a hot topic, but the the key takeaways also by the way the strategy of using an opener works for a couple of reasons i think number 1 uh you get to like make the opponent set their lineup a certain way not when they don't know if you're going to bring in a lefty or a righty uh to be that long guy and so it can kind of mess with the opponent as we saw them do against the twins and then also the first inning is the the highest scoring inning because i think you're always going to get the top of the order in the first inning and the top of the order is like the best part of the lineup. And so using an opener that's able to like attack the specific handedness or whatever of that and bullpen arms, like, you know, generally if you look at the ERA of a bullpen versus the ERA of a starting rotation, the bullpen's going to be better uh, because they're only in it working one inning. If they had to pitch like four, five, six innings, these one inning guys, then it would be a different story. But so you, I think you maybe have a better chance at a scoreless first if you use a reliever and then you kind of can pick your spot to bring in your long guy is another like a pocket of the lineup where it makes sense to bring in that particular long guy that you're going to use in that particular day. And so that's some of the reasoning behind it. But like I said, I wouldn't, it's not a bullpen game. It's not just like all these one inning guys going back to back to back to back to back to back to back. It's you're getting length out of multiple guys, one or multiple guys every time. Anyway, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks again for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day, every dayers. Tomorrow, breaking down game one in Toronto. Can the Giants stay hot against old friends Kevin Gosman and Brandon Belt as sad as as much as Gosman is like the one who got away like I said earlier you've got to consider Carlos Rodon and how it's just unpredictable which of these pitchers is going to break down and so these long-term deals for pitchers are risky but Gosman has continued to be great and it's going to be a tough task Giants play the Blue Jays tonight at 407 Pacific you can catch every pitch of the Giants hometown broadcast with Sirius XM on the SXM app search Giants once again, my name is Ben Kaspic. Check me out on Twitter at Ben Kaspic, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. If you like the show, please consider rating it or leaving a review. It helps me out a lot. So thanks in advance and thanks to everyone who's done so already. I can't wait to be with you again tomorrow. Thanks again for listening. You are now Locked on Giants.